Good morning. My name is Kevin Maurice. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace, and um, I will echo everything that Ray just said about Cole and Alyssa. They've been uh, a huge blessing to this church and to our student ministry, and we're really sad to see them go, but we're also really thankful for their time here and excited for their next step. So we wish them the absolute best. In our teaching time today, you can turn in your Bibles. We'll begin in Matthew 28, and I will meet you there. I recently heard about a Jewish rabbi who walked into his classroom one day and he set a glass jar in the middle of his desk and in front of his students he began to put in some rocks of various sizes and shapes until finally he couldn't fit any more. And he turned to his class and said, is the jar full? And everyone looked at it and said, yeah, that, that jar is full of rocks. The rabbi went behind his desk and he picked up a cup and he began to pour in some smaller stones. And then he turned to his class again and said, now is the jar full. Students were a little more hesitant to answer this time. The rabbi went behind his desk a final time and he began to pour in a cup of sand. And he turned back to his students and said, life is like this glass jar, and we fill it with so many things. And when we see that there's any room left at all, we fill it with more and more and more. And some of the things that we fill our lives with are substantial. They're large rocks. They're significant. But so much of what we pour into our lives are very small things, even insignificant, insubstantial. It's nothing but sand. And that's true for all of us. Do you know what the big rocks are in your life? Because the world, the enemy, our own sinful nature, we are very tempted to fill our lives with nothing but sand, an insignificant foundation. But today, we're going to look at what Jesus says is perhaps the biggest rock that we're meant to to build our lives upon, a rock that is worth establishing as a foundation for how we think and act and believe and, and live. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus has just risen from the grave. He, he gathers his disciples, his best friends together, and he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, but before he does, he gives his followers their marching orders. And they're actually not orders, plural, it's a single order, it's a command, go and make disciples. That's it. That's the big rock in life. And this morning, we're exploring another conviction of Grace Covenant Church, and we'll study the Bible in order to better understand the mission of the church, our purpose in this world as believers. We are disciples who make disciples. Now, if you remember back to last week, we talked about the Bible not as a series of, of disconnected stories, but as a single story 
about what's wrong with the world and what God has done to make things right through Jesus. That's the story of Scripture. And as Christians, we call this story the good news or the gospel. And to truly understand the good news of Jesus, we first had to wrestle with the bad news of our sin. And we studied the book of Romans and we learned that we inherited sin, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, we inherit righteousness. Sin separates us from God, and so God came to us to reconcile us and rescue us to himself. And sin ultimately leads to death, but Jesus died for us, so now we can be fully alive here and forever. And so that's the gospel. That is the good news. And when we as a church, as as people of God, when we understand who we were dead in sin and now who we are made alive in Christ, the natural progression as we follow Jesus is to tell other people about him. The word gospel or good news in the Greek of the New Testament is the word euangelion, and it's where we get the word evangelism. Evangelism simply means sharing the good news. And as a church, everything that we do here, all of our our ministries, Sunday mornings, our events, our camps, retreats, all of it, it's with this foundational conviction in mind, go and make disciples. A disciple is someone who follows after their master or teacher and then does what his or her master or teacher does. There was a Jewish blessing that you could speak to someone who is a disciple, and it was simply, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, may you follow your your leader so closely that as they walked along paths or or hiked across trails and as they kicked up dust and, and dirt along the ground, you'd be following them so closely that at the end of the day, you'd be covered in the dust of your rabbi. At Grace, we describe a disciple as someone who knows Jesus and is becoming more like Christ in all of life. And if we're following Jesus, we're his disciples, and he tells us, go tell other people about me and make more. That's the mission of of the global, like, big C church and our church as well guiding people to become like Christ in all of life. C.S. Lewis wrote this, The church exists for nothing else but to draw others to Christ, to make them little Christs. If we are not doing that, then all of the cathedrals, clergy, missions, and sermons are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. So this is our mission and so, why? why? Why is this a conviction? And together this morning, we're going to explore four reasons that God sends us into his mission in the world. We're going to study four truths about evangelism and why we're called to make disciples. And the first reason is really simple. It's because Jesus tells us to. Case closed. Call it a day. Let's all go home. But if we look back at at Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And I'm telling you, go and make disciples. Go do this. 
Jesus appeals to his authority and he says, because I said so. And, and parents, we do this all the time, don't we? You, you tell your, your son or your daughter, go clean your room, go brush your teeth, eat your vegetables. And, and we're on board with them wanting to know the reasons why, but at, at a certain point when they keep asking why, 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 what do you say? Because I said so. Because I'm telling you to. Because I'm an authority over your life. And the truth is, if we are following Jesus, he is our Lord. He tells us to make disciples, and so let's go. This is our big rock in life. 1 John 2.6 puts it very strongly. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so if we claim the name of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we actually following him? Are we doing what he told us to do? So evangelism, it, it starts here because Jesus told us to. But there's also so much more to it than that. Because God doesn't want us to, to only share the gospel because he said so. There's, there's purpose, there's significance to God giving us this mission in the world. The story of Scripture, it's the story of God's love for people, and he calls us into that story, and it's bigger than ourselves. It's, it's something truly worth living for. But let's remember that evangelism isn't just a recommendation or a, a suggestion for certain like extra-spiritual Christians or, or people who feel called to it. It's all of our calling. It's, it's all of our mission. Pastor uh, John Piper says it this way, don't wait for a feeling or for love in order to share Christ with others. You already love your heavenly Father, and you know that other people are created by him, but separated from him. So take those first steps in evangelism because you love God. We're saved from sin. We know the gospel, and God tells us, go share that with others. Now, one of my favorite stories of evangelism, it shows up in the Old Testament book of Jonah. You can please turn with me now to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to learn more about the why of evangelism, and we're going to see three more truths about this task, this mission of making disciples. Now, the book of Jonah has so much truth and, and depth about sharing the gospel with others. So I encourage you sometime this week, take 15, 20 minutes and, and read it for yourself, please. It's four chapters. It's an incredible book of the Bible. I'll summarize to get us to chapter three. The book starts with God telling Jonah what he's telling us, go make disciples. God says to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. Preach there for their wickedness has come up against me. Tell those people about me, is what God says. But Jonah doesn't want to go. There are a variety of reasons. Uh, those, those people are an enemy of his people group. Those people are notorious sinners. There's these cultural issues between them. There's enmity between them. They, they live kind of far away. They live up north. And so I get Jonah's hesitation. 
If God told me to move to Norman, Oklahoma, I would also be extremely hesitant. I don't fault Jonah at all. But, but the main reason that Jonah doesn't want to go on this mission from God, it's simply because he doesn't believe the people of Nineveh deserve it. He doesn't think they deserve God's love or grace. And Jonah's right. They don't deserve God's grace, but neither does Jonah. The reason that God tells Jonah to go share with them, to evangelize this group of people, it's also our second reason for evangelism. It's because God loves and seeks sinners. We, we talked about this last week. Our sinful nature, we choose evil over good. We exchange God's glory for disobedience and, and separation from him. And yet, God still loves us. And he sent Jesus for us. And Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, in the midst of our sinfulness, Jesus died for us. God offers undeserving sinners his unmerited grace. Jonah doesn't get this, at least not yet. He doesn't want to share God's grace because those people don't deserve it. But if we use the word deserve with salvation, we misunderstand so much about our nature and the nature of God and his grace. Because the truth is, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Grace is a gift. And the degree of hopelessness that I have for another human soul comes from not realizing just how much God coughing up seawater. He's covered in sweat and salt and seaweed. And as soon as he's back on dry land, God speaks to him again. And he reminds him of that big rock. And the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up, Go to Nineveh, it's that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. It's the same exact mission that he gave Jonah in chapter 1. God gives him another chance, a second opportunity, because God doesn't give up on Jonah, and God's not giving up on this people that he sent him to. Because God loves Jonah and these people. So finally, Jonah goes on his mission. And we learn that Nineveh is an exceedingly great city. It's three days' journey in width. And Jonah began to go into the city going one day's journey. And as Jonah went, he called out 40 days and then Nineveh will be overthrown. An estimate of a, a day's journey, it's a, about 25 miles. So Nineveh is a, a metropolitan area. It's 75 miles wide. That's the distance from downtown Austin to San Antonio. And we're told that Jonah goes a third of the way preaching this message. And, and reading this, I've always thought this is a terribly ineffective way for Jonah to tell people about God. I, I, walking is, is an arduous way to travel long distances. There are more efficient modes of transportation and communication, even back then. Back in college, uh, Buddy and I had this fun, um, stupid idea to walk from the state capital to the Alamo. It's about 80 miles, one Nineveh's worth. 
just because, nothing better to do. Lost had just ended, so we were kind of bored. And so we started at, at 4 a.m. at the Capitol, and we walked, and we trudged, and we hiked down I-35. And after a day, we had made it to New Braunfels, halfway, the outlet mall. 40 miles, but not nearly far enough. And we were done. Our feet were bleeding, our knees were aching, we were sweaty and, and gross, and so we, we called it quits. We stopped right there. Now, I've told this story to students a number of times, and a few years ago, Pastor Matt's daughter Amy actually decided that it sounded like a great idea. <laughs> Apple didn't fall far from that tree. So, I actually attempted this journey one more time with some of the Cassidy clan, and this time I only made it 30 miles. The point is, walking's awful. It takes a long time. And so I do not fault Jonah at all. He only makes it a third of the way into the city. Because when you think about it, why is God using Jonah? He is one messenger on foot to reach these people. Aren't there better ways of getting this message to them? I mean, couldn't God descend on the city in a, a cloud like he does in Exodus? Couldn't he give them a sign, like a, a pillar of fire, or, or just speak to them from, from the heavens? Why is God asking us to go make disciples? Today, aren't there more effective ways of getting the gospel out there? Why you and why me? Because, and here's our third truth of evangelism, God wants to use you to share the gospel. God wants to use you to share the good news. God is not stuck using us. God is not limited by using us. God desires, he wants to utilize us in his mission in the world because God likes to work through his children people who are in need of, of grace and redemption to be the instruments and the messengers of that same grace and redemption for other people. Pastor and writer Paul David Tripp says this about God's strategy. God has a large toolbox, but his principal tools, his favorite tools, are his children. Now, that can be both exciting and intimidating. Because for some of us, God will call us to make disciples in a place like Nineveh, a place that you're scared to go or that you don't want to go. Some of us may become missionaries in the inner city or to countries on the other side of the world. But evangelism is not just for missionaries or, or professionals who are sent to other places. Jesus calls all of his disciples to be disciple makers. And so for most of us, our mission field, it's not going to be across an ocean. It's going to be across the street or across the cul-de-sac. It'll be across the uh, apartment complex or, or the office building. It'll be across the classroom or the hallway. And in that context, in your neighborhood, in your social circle, on your kid's baseball team, your homeschool group, your workplace or your gym, wherever God has you, he wants to use you there to tell other people about him. Recently, as a church, we studied 
the book of 1 Peter in a series called Different. If you were here for that or, or if you weren't here for that or if you missed a Sunday, I encourage you, go back and watch and listen to some of those sermons because the series was all about how we as disciples are called to live differently in this world. And, and not just for ourselves, but also in this mission of making disciples. Because in evangelism, the best way to make a difference is to be different. That's what the Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Our mission is to make disciples, and so often what God uses to do that is someone simply living their life in pursuit of him. And that's a life that looks very different. And, and then saying to others, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. As we live life with friends and family and, and, and colleagues, we, we simply point to God and, and, and we look for opportunities that he will give us to share the story of his good news in our lives. And, and so please hear me, uh, evangelism especially in our lives, it, it's not necessarily to create these like giant pep rallies for God or, or to be the marketing engine for the kingdom of heaven. Our mission is to put Jesus on display in our lives and watch as he draws people to himself. Next week, Pastor Matt is going to teach us a simple but profound paradigm for how to do that. How do we share our faith? How to do evangelism? So please, do not miss next Sunday. Today, what I've wanted us to focus on primarily is, is the why of evangelism. Why is this a conviction? Jesus told us to because he loves and seeks lost people, and he wants to use us to do that. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with others, and I, I get it. That might make you nervous. Full transparency, it makes me very nervous. And this is my job. But I don't, I don't like the weight of responsibility for someone else coming to know God. Because if it all depends on me for someone coming to salvation, that is a lot of pressure. What if I mess up? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I offend someone? What if I'm just having a bad day? What if I... I, I'm not paying attention. I just missed the opportunity. It's a lot of what ifs. And if you've ever felt that way, just know you're not alone. But if you've ever felt that way, write this down. Remember this. It's our fourth truth about evangelism. And it gives us comfort and courage when we share the gospel with others. And the truth is salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. Remember Matthew 28. Jesus tells us, surely I am with you always. He says, I'm not sending you out to do this alone. You're not even going in your own power or authority. You're going in mine, and I'm with you. 
We can do this together. And you see this in, in Jonah's evangelism journey. Our, our reluctant missionary, he walks a third of the way into the city, and he speaks one sentence. The Bible doesn't tell us if, if Jonah said anything else. All we know for sure is that he preached an eight-word sermon. Forty days, and then Nineveh will be overthrown. And look what happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They repent, and they fast, and they mourn. Jonah's message even reaches the king of the city, and, and he turns to God, and he sends out this edict to everyone. He says, let everyone call out to God. Everyone, turn from your evil ways. Who knows? God may relent and turn from his anger and show us mercy and grace and compassion so that we will not perish. And God shows grace. This is one, this is one of the most amazing stories of repentance and, and turning to God in the entire Bible. And Jonah's part in it was an eight-word sermon. And let's be honest, it wasn't even a good one. I mean, his heart wasn't in it, and, you know, 40 days and then Nineveh will be overthrown. That's not selling any books, ratcheting up the podcast numbers. But, but the people, the whole city, responds in sorrow over their sin, and they turn to God, and they're, they're saved, not because of Jonah, because of God. God is the one who worked in their hearts, and throughout the Bible we see this, that God works in people to bring them to himself. And that's not something we can manufacture. God enjoys using us in the process, but he's the one who does the work. And so this means you could give the clearest presentation of the gospel, or, or you could be a part of the most well-organized and, and well-planned ministry or, or mission event or trip, and, and God may use that to save people. It was God working. He brought salvation not you. At the same time, you could stumble your way through sharing the gospel. You could forget all the Bible verses and, and even what you plan to say, and, and God could use you to bring someone to himself. And so, in evangelism, we can all relax because the weight is not on our shoulders. It's, it's not on you to convince someone. It's not my job to persuade anyone Salvation belongs to God. We see this truth in the early church as well. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, we're told about the first church that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the community, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any of them had need. And day by day they attended the temple together, and they broke bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just look at that final verse again. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It wasn't the teaching, not the fellowship or the community, not any of the ministries or what they were doing. Those things were all a part of 
what God used, but it was God himself who added to their number. And I love that. I love that from the very beginning, the birth of the church, God shows us that salvation is not in our hands. Salvation rests firmly in the pierced hands of Jesus Christ. And so if you have friends or family members or someone that you care for who does not know Jesus, and maybe you've been praying for that person for years, maybe you've even shared your faith with them, but it just seems like there's not any progress, please don't give up. It's, it's so easy to grow disheartened and, and wonder if they'll ever know God's grace. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing with them. Continue in this mission of making disciples, knowing that God does the work and he may use you to play a part. Personally, I've been praying for my family, my mom, my dad, my, my brother, for years. Uh, I started following Christ my freshman year of high school. And starting that day, I remember I was so like, energized and eager. I was just excited to share my faith with my family. And, and, and when it didn't happen immediately, I thought if I could just say the, the right words in the right order, just perfectly, like it was some kind of incantation, then my family would believe in Jesus too, that they would know God and, and they would turn to him and they would be saved. And so at 15 years old, I, I start sharing with them. And I'd write little notes on, on sticky notes or note cards and, you know, Bible verses about God's love for us. And I'd leave them in my mom's office or in her car until uh, one day she asked me simply, hey, please stop. I'd take my little brother to go get something to eat and, and try to share my faith with him. And one day he said, hey, thanks, uh, but no thanks, I'm an atheist. So I'll take the food, but let's stop talking about this. My dad sometimes enjoys the conversation about faith, but he prefers to keep things pretty general and, and more spiritual rather than anything about Jesus. And it's been 20 years of that. And I keep praying, but I'll just be honest with you, there are many days where it's hard to, uh, and there are many days I don't, because it at this point feels rather impossible. I, I've been a Christian for two decades, and I, I've wanted to, and I have. I've tried to share the gospel with my family, but my mom still doesn't know God. And my dad, my brother, they're still not following Christ. And as much as I would have loved that one-day salvation story, like in the book of Jonah or in the early church, that's just not what has happened. And if it's up to me to save my family, then I would be hopeless. And so thank God it's not up to me. I, I trust that God loves them and cares about them more than I do. And, and so I continue to pray and look for opportunities and, and moments to share with them. And I remind myself that salvation belongs to God. And, and he chooses to use us in his mission of evangelism because he seeks after sinful people that he loves. Go and make disciples. This is a conviction. It's a, it's a foundation for this church and for us as Christians. 
It's a, a simple progression. When God calls you to himself, he also sends you to be a disciple who makes disciples. That's who we are. As we closed last Sunday, I asked you to write on a piece of paper the question, what's wrong with the world? And, and to pause and reflect on your own sinful nature and, and the state of your soul without God's grace. And beneath that question, I asked you to consider writing the confession, dear God, I am. And if you brought your paper back today, great. If not, or if you missed last week, no worries, but do this sometime today on the top of a piece of paper. I want you to write the question, who is a disciple who makes disciples? And, and take some time to reflect on the gospel and what God has done in your life. How are you following Jesus? What does that look like for you day to day? And then begin to think of, of some of the faces and the names of people that you care for, people that God loves even more than you do, people who may not know the good news, friends, family, a, a group of people, a, a city, or even a country. And as you do this, be thinking, who is a disciple who makes disciples? And beneath that question, I want you to write those same four words, dear God, I am. You can fold up that piece of paper and keep it with you. Put it in your Bible, put it in your purse or your wallet, and keep it with to remind you of who you are in Christ. We are called into this mission of evangelism in, in our families, in the, in the people that God has placed in our lives. We're disciples, making disciples in our church, serving in, in ministry with, with the people in this community right here that God has surrounded you with. We are all missionaries in our smaller spheres and worlds, at, at work, in our friend group, in our neighborhoods. And, and we are commanded by Jesus to make disciples in the world, wherever he might call us to. And, and so, Grace, let's, let's take this big rock and let's build our lives on this. Let, let's encourage one another in faith as we become more like Christ in all of life, and let's be disciples who make disciples. Will you please pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you love us, that you came to us and for us. God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us so that we might know you both here in this world and, and forever. And God, as we, we come to know you more and more in our lives, we pray that you would help us to, to know our mission in this world, our mission as your children to tell others about you. God, I pray that you would even now begin to, to stir in our hearts and, and, and open these doors for us to, to simply begin a conversation or, or pray for someone. God, help us to not grow disheartened. Help us to pray trusting in you, knowing that salvation belongs to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. And in your name we pray. Amen.